Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel in Hookson. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. If you're being encouraged or challenged by this teaching, would you consider giving us a five-star review? That review and rating moves us up the list so others might find us more easily so they too can benefit from this podcast. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. going to see Satan lose, though. We've kind of got to know how he operates. Can I get an amen? We've got to know how he operates. And a few, a few weeks ago, I talked about the fact that God, God has given us a book. He has given us uh, the inside scoop of Satan's battle plans, of Satan's strategies, right? We have the book. It's been declassified. If you notice on the screen, it says unclassified. And we know and we can know how he attacks. We can be aware of it before it happens. Now, we may not know when it happens, but we can be aware of it before it happens, how he might choose to come at us, right? And it's an amazing thing. Once you start to have your eyes opened to the spiritual world, you begin to see how he operates, right? So the, the proof of the... Um, the main text that we've been using is 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices, that is, designs, strategies, schemes, right? Uh, last week we talked about his device of unforgiveness and how he divides churches and he divides families and he somehow convinces us that it's okay for us to live with a spirit of unforgiveness. And as a matter of fact, this text, the verse right above it, talks about how Paul was willing to forgive those that this church had forgiven. This church had put someone out of it who had fallen into an egregious, open sin. And part of the problem, as I study First and Second Corinthians, part of the problem was not just that this man fell into sin, but that there was sort of a proud spirit about this sin. See, Corinth was a wicked city, and sexual sin was rampant in this city. And the other temples, the other churches, the other religions celebrated uh, perversion. They would have temple prostitutes as part of their worship. Could you imagine going to church and just having this massive sexual orgy as an expression of worship to your God? And most of you are going, ew. And some of you are going, intriguing. <laughs> um, either way, not a good scene. So here's this church. It's got to compete with these other churches. And we see that happening today. We see that happening across our country where churches are abandoning, abandoning biblical principles. Incredibly famous preachers are walking away from the faith and are saying, there's one in particular, that has said, if, the, if Christianity does not abandon the antiquated notions of the Bible concerning sexuality, Christianity will be dead. 
Well, there's been a lot of people prophesying the death of Christianity for a lot of years. And we may have to go underground someday, like the churches in China and other places, but God's church grows amazingly beautiful, beautifully underground. His church has been growing for 2,000 years. And so we see Satan tries to deceive us. He tries to take advantage of us. And this church had kind of bought this lie that sex outside of marriage was okay. Was even something to be celebrated. And then Paul set the record straight and said, man, you need to put this guy out of the church so that he can be saved. Whether he was talking about a spiritual salvation or he was talking about a salvation of his life with Christ on earth, I'm not certain. But he said, put him out. And when he was put out, this man began to feel the pressure of not being connected to his church. Oh, that people would feel that today. And because he lost connection with his brothers and sisters in church, he began to become aware that this behavior he had been partaking in was horrific sin. He came back repenting. I was wrong. God was right. Please forgive me. And the church is kind of like, yeah, you got us in big trouble with Paul. You just stay away. And then Paul says, hey, come on, guys. Let him in. Forgive him. Who you forgive, I forgive. And then he said, lest Satan should take advantage of us. So we know that one of the the weapons that Satan has in in his strategy to achieve his overall aim, which is to, to diminish, to veil, or to destroy the glory of God, was unforgiveness. And we talked about communication, how another weapon of Satan is to, is to shut down communication, both in churches and in homes, and how the word confrontation has become a dirty word. How when we confront people, somehow we think that that means we're, we're, uh, we're trying to destroy them. And, and some people, when they confront, that's your motivation. But biblical confrontation is for restoration. We should never confront someone to get back at them, but that's how the world does it. And so we think that's what it means, but God said no. Confrontation should result in restoration. Right? And so we talked about how the devil divides us with with a lack of communication. And today I want to talk about the whisperer. Satan the whisperer. We tackle one of the most insidious of Satan's devices. His whisper. This is where he will try to influence us by speaking directly or indirectly to us. Don't you understand what I'm saying? By speaking, Satan or his fallen angels, whom we call demons, will sometimes speak directly to us and sometimes indirectly. He uses various ways or methods to get his whispers to take root in our minds, to take us to places that we ought to stay away from, both physically and mentally. Does that ever happen to anyone? A thought comes into your head? It's not a good thought, is it? Some of you are having them right now. And that thought takes you to a place. And that thought begins to take root. You begin to go like the, you, begin to, you begin to circle on that thought. And you begin to consider that thought. And you begin to ponder that thought. You ruminate on it. You meditate on it. And you don't even realize you're doing it. 
you don't even know where the thought came from. And I'm here to say, I'm here to say the thought does not always originate with you. It's gotten quiet in here. Let's take a look at some scriptures because I have nothing to say but what I learned from God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 through 5. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence I'm lowly among you, but being absent, I'm bold toward you. I'm writing you a bold letter. I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. So a little backstory really quickly here is that there was a contingent of false teachers that had taken root at the Corinthian church, right? There were these teachers that came in. They considered themselves equal with Paul. We're apostles too. We talk to God too. And Paul, he's lowly. He's despicable. Oh, his letters are strong, but when he shows up in person, he'll be a little weakling that we will just destroy with the word of our mouth. And so Paul is saying, do you really think so? You really think that when I show up in person, that I'm showing up in the power of the flesh? How little you know. These false teachers had been sowing false doctrine in this church. And Paul says, though we, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. These false teachers, they know nothing. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal like these false teachers. False teachers sow discord among the brethren. False teachers divide and conquer. If you remember the beginning, I am of Paul, I am of Paulus, I am of Simon, I am of Christ, and there was all of this division in the church. They're sowing this division. They're stoking this division. He said, but our weapons are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, the casting down of arguments, and every high thing, every proud thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This morning we're going to look at three ways that Satan whispers to us. How does Satan whisper to us? The first way we're going to look at. Yeah, we used to do that when we were kids. Remember talking through the can, the rope? Never really worked that well, did it? This passage that we just read, although many take it to say the thought part, they, they focus on the thought, we take every thought captive. That thought that they took captive came from a false teacher. It came from a false teacher. It came from those that were, were spreading lies. Those that were spreading false doctrine. Those that were, that were playing one person against another person. Hey, did you hear what so-and-so said, Greg? Greg, did you hear? Brett said this about you. Hey, Randy, did you hear what Brett said about you? It was terrible. It was terrible. And then Randy gets angry at Brett, and Greg gets angry at Brett, and then Randy and Greg meet together, and they say, did you hear what Brett said about you? And Greg's like, he said the same thing about me. It must be true. And it's lies. Satan uses people 
Word of mouth. He is diabolical. He's thousands and thousands upon thousands of years old. Do we understand this this morning? He is, he is an amazingly created creature. The Bible says in Proverbs 17, an evildoer gives heed to false lips. A liar listens eagerly to a spiteful tongue. Proverbs 4.14 says, Do not enter the path of the wicked, nor walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. Satan comes to us through people, through false teachers, through false friends, through false Christians. And he will speak these whispers which will take root in our hearts if we're not careful. He comes to us through people. You say, well, I would know I would know if Satan were coming to me because I could, I could tell that that person's not a Christian. And Peter took him aside saying, and, and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen. Satan could never possibly use a Christian, influence a Christian to get a whisper to take root in our heart and mind, could he? And yet we see Peter standing up to Jesus, God in the flesh, saying, you're not going to Jerusalem to die. You've heard the stories. You've heard the declarations. When they see you, they will take you and they will kill you. I will not Stand for it, Jesus. You're not going. This will not happen. What did Jesus say to Peter? He turned to Peter and said, get, be, get thee behind me. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Next week, we're going to talk about how we can discern, how we can discern if the thought, if the whisper is from God or from the enemy. Here's one way. Get a little preview. You're more concerned about the things of men. Man's way of doing things. Man's priorities. Right? That's one way. We'll, we'll, we'll elaborate that on it later. So here we go. Number one, word of mouth. This is how we hear the whispers of Satan. Word of mouth. It can be from a Christian or someone who calls themselves a Christian. It can be from a friend. It can be from a politician. Now I know you're going, we all know that one. It doesn't matter if it's an R or a D. We know they're all the mouthpieces of Satan. Now, not all of them. Not all of them. And it's important for us to be able to discern. But the first way he may come to us is through another person. Could even be through someone you trust. Could be through a teacher. In the case of Corinth, it was through teachers who had weeded their way in, began to contradict the word of God because the word of Paul, as written, was the word of God. And they would say, Hey, I know this is what Paul says, but. And it's the same old lie, the same old whisper that Satan's been using since the Garden of Eden. Has God really said that? Is that really what he means? Come on, Eve. You're not going to die. He doesn't really mean it, right? So 
we see a lot of his tactics remain the same. Now he uses people, there he used a serpent. Let's go on. Sometimes it's a little more difficult. Supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Judas was the betrayer of Jesus. He turned him over to the enemy. He told them where he would be praying. That's why to this day, if somebody walks up to you and says, you're such a Judas, not really a compliment. If you have someone saying you're a Judas, kids, and you're like, I had no idea what it meant, they weren't giving you a compliment. They're calling you a betrayer. First Chronicles 21, and Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number evil. The betrayer had put into his heart by Satan the idea to betray, betray Jesus. Now we can look at that and we can say, well, yeah, but Judas is practically the devil. When we think about the devil, Judas is right up there. I mean, he's practically the devil. But then I wanted to make sure that we understood this. David was a man after God's own heart. So you have word of mouth, you have people being influenced by Satan to say things, to stick that thought in your mind, but then you have just the thought itself. Sometimes I truly believe Satan and his his evil minions are, are, are fantastic ventriloquists. And sometimes the thoughts come into our minds with our own voice. He moved Judas's heart. He moved David. There is an ethereal sense to Satan. There are demons and spiritual beings who can whisper in our ears. And this is where it gets very difficult because if we're not careful, we think we thought it. We think we thought it. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a thought Maybe it came out of nowhere. You just had a thought, and the thought you had was so evil, you thought to yourself, oh my gosh, how could I have just thought that? Sometimes you didn't. Sometimes you didn't. Now, let me be clear. Let me be clear. James teaches us that when Satan tempts us, he uses our own brokenness against us. So he'll come at us with a thought that he knows might be a bombshell at first. And we dismiss kind of easily. It shakes us up and we're like, whoa. But then he'll come to us with thoughts and try to manipulate us into doing what we know is wrong. Into saying things that we know we shouldn't say. And that thought comes into our mind and we begin to cycle and we begin to think, and we begin to consider, and we begin to turn the thought over and over because it's our thought we think. But there are times when the thoughts come from an outside source. I believe. He moves us. He tempts us. 
Okay, there is a spiritual world out there. And there is a spiritual enemy out there. And they whisper to us, it's not that wrong. It's okay. Go ahead and do it. He doesn't care about you anyways. And they whisper to us, and they whisper to us. And when we listen to these whispers, we may find ourselves agreeing with things that previously we would be shocked at. Or maybe doing things that we find ourselves disgusted at. Word to mind. Finally. And he and you he made alive, who were dead in your trespasses and sins, which you once walked, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. This passage would also support thoughts. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Finally, the prince of the power of the air, word from the media. Now that, I know you're all thinking, oh, he's talking about Fox News, or he's talking about CNN, or he's talking about MSNBC, or he's talking about NPR, or he's talking about the one that you don't like, right? He must be talking about the one I don't like. I'm just saying broadly, broadly, he's the prince of the power of the air. He's the god of this world. Things around us influence us, whether it's magazines, whether it's the internet, whether it's news programs, whether it's movies, whether it's TVs, we should be aware of the message that they are speaking to us. The Bible warns us against the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. There's some amazing rap songs out there. I tend to like Christian rap. There's some good NF stuff. My son likes NF. That's his ramp me up for football music. I like Toby Mac. Uh, but then there's some rap songs. And these rap songs, uh, and even some secular songs that are not rap songs, just some pop songs, and they talk about me, 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 I'm the greatest. I'm going to pop a cap in you. Um, I'm going to slap that and refer to women as well, a lot of people are going to the beach tomorrow, and um, degrade women, right? Calling them whores. And we listen to this music and we think it doesn't impact us. Listen, man, be careful how much you let in. The enemy wants to degrade you. He wants you to look at women as objects and less than people. He wants you to look at men as stupid and dumb and ignorant. He's trying to destroy the glory of God. Now, not all media is bad. Not all pop music is bad. Not all country music is bad. That's not what I'm saying. Not all newscasts are bad. But we ought to be aware that the enemy can use these at any moment, just like he can use a friend of yours. Just like he can use a church member. He influenced Peter for crying out loud. 
So we need to be careful that what we hear lines up with the God we follow. So everything else, physical, outside, we have whispers, we have people, we have technology and media and internet, and you name it. And this is how he whispers to us. And he tries to influence us. And he tries to take control. And he tries to take over. And the Bible is no wonder the Bible says this. And I can see that you are sober this morning. You're serious this morning. And you should be because the enemy is not on your side. I've read and seen people or heard from people that say, I, I want to go to hell because hell is going to be a party. Man, I don't want to go to heaven. Heaven's going to be boring. And it's so obvious that these people are so ignorant. The enemy wants to kill you and destroy you and spit you out. No good to yourself or anybody else. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's not looking to take just a little bite out of you. All right? He's not your little baby when the little baby gets her first teeth. You remember that? And she finally learns that these teeth are good for biting daddy. And she leaves those little marks, right? I mean, that's not the teeth of the devil, friends. He wants to devour. He wants to destroy. He wants the glory of God in your life to depart. And he hates you because you represent him. One of the whispers that he tells, one of the lies that he tells us, is that salvation is available by good deeds and by good works. Probably the greatest lie of Satan in the world today is a lie being peddled by churches across the country and around the world. That if you will turn over a new leaf, if you will be good, if you will do good, if you will live a moral and upstanding life, God will forgive you. Or if you will add to that Jesus, God will forgive you. This is what the Mormon church preaches now. That in order to be forgiven and saved and cleansed from your sin, you need to do good works and good deeds and you need to be morally pure and trust Jesus and then you will be saved. problem with that lie is it adds to Jesus. It is Jesus alone that gives us the salvation of our souls and secures for us the forgiveness of our sin. It is Christ alone. It is not your good works and your good deeds. And you say, how do you know that, Pastor? Because that's so different than what every other church teaches. Well, I know that because the Bible tells me so. When I was a little boy, my mom taught us that song. The Bible tells me so. Apart from the Bible, I don't know. I have nothing to tell you. But the Bible tells me so. The Bible teaches this. And there are some that call this Sunday school religion. Listen, let me tell you something. There's a lot to be said for Sunday school religion because without the Bible, we don't know about Jesus. Josephus, the historian of Israel, is not enough to tell the world that Jesus is God the Son. Josephus, who's a historian, you can go back if you're like, well, the Bible is not enough, and you want historical evidence for Jesus, look up the works of Josephus. The problem with the works of Josephus is they're not inspired by God. 
and they don't carry the power of the Holy Spirit of God. But the Bible does. I believe the Bible is a supernatural book. And this is what the Bible says. According to God, writing it through Paul, he said this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. He says in Galatians that by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. It is only through Jesus. That's not saying the law is bad and we should be immoral. The Bible doesn't teach us that either. It just teaches us that your morality isn't enough. It'll never be enough. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Did you catch the end of Ephesians? Satan whispers to us that it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. I gotta be good. Do good. Listen. He said not of works lest anyone should boast. And so what you see in this religion of the world is this. A lot of people are going to get to heaven. Well, actually, I'm sorry. They're not. A lot of people will stand before the throne of Jesus and the throne of God, the great white throne. And they will say, Lord, 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 have we not done many wonderful works in Your name? Have we not prophesied and preached in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done miracles in your name? And Jesus will say unto them, depart from me. I never knew you. Those are the boasters. There'll be no boaster entering the gates of heaven. Those who truly know Jesus, when they cross through the gates of heaven will fall to their knees because they will know one thing and one thing clearly. I'm here because of Him. I am here because of Him. I am here because of Him. And the good deeds that I do, He does in me and through me and empowers me. So even the good that I do since I've been saved is because of Him. It's because of Him. And we will fall on our knees. And the Bible says the elders take off their crowns and they cast their crowns at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because He deserves all of the rewards for the works that we do in His name because He does them through us. Salvation is in Christ alone. By Christ alone. And live religion says it's you plus Jesus. Oh man, don't fall for the lie. Don't fall for the whisper. Listen to the Word. Listen to the Word. Romans teaches us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is, no, there is none righteous. No, not one. Romans 5 teaches us that while we were yet without strength, Christ died for us. He said while we were still in our sins, while we were still ungodly, Christ died for us. He calls it a free gift Listen, that's redundant. How many of you guys think the free gift <coughs> is redundant? Huh. 
It's redundant because a gift is free. That's the point of a gift. It's free. If I get a gift for my son, and I'm going to give my son this gift, but there's a condition on the gift. Is it a gift or a wage? I bought my son a $100 skateboard. I know you think I'm crazy, so do I. It wasn't a gift. The skateboard for my son was not a gift. You know why? Because I said, all right, son, you want a skateboard? You want a hundred bucks? This is what you have to do. You got to help me clean the sunroom out. Take all the garbage out. Clean this up. Clean the porch up. And then I'll get you the skateboard. And you know what I did? I got him the skateboard. If he didn't do his job, I'm not getting him the skateboard. That's how religion works, though. You clean up your act, and Jesus gives you a skateboard. (laughs) Or heaven. But it's never what you think it is. Salvation, forgiveness of our sins, is a gift. I give my son a birthday gift even if he screws up and fails. I give him his gift because I love him and he's my son. And the gift I'm giving him is not a reward for good behavior. It's a celebration of his life. It's a gift. Give him freely. Now he has to receive it. He has to receive it told a story once. I've got three kids, and and sadly, this story is true for some people. They buy gifts for their children. They wrap the gift up, and they put the name on it, and they put it under the tree. If the child dies before the gift is received, the gift stays under the tree, unwrapped, unreceived. Some of you have heard about the gift of Jesus. Some of you all your lives, some of you this morning for the first time have heard that Jesus loves you and He wants to save your eternal soul and He wants to forgive you of your sin. And some of you are sitting here saying, yeah, but pastor, I'm a mess. I'm broken. I'm wounded. I have sinned things that my parents don't know about, that my wife doesn't know about, that my husband doesn't know about. I'm a closet alcoholic. I'm this, I'm that. I'm here to tell you that the blood of Jesus that He shed on the cross when He took the penalty for your sin is powerful and potent enough to wash away every sin ever committed and that ever will be committed. But you, you can't work for it. You can't earn it. But you do have to receive it. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, as many as received Him, to them gave He the power to become the children of God. Will you receive Him this morning? He is the free gift. He's what you've been waiting for. In order to receive Him though, you've got to give up on your religion. You've got to give up on trusting yourself. And you've got to believe that He alone is enough for you. Hey all thanks for listening to this podcast. 
If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.